This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 34, Submission 014. It's your move. It's your move originally aired on NBC from September 26, 1984 to February 23rd, 1985 for a total of 18 episodes. And David Garrison is Norman. And then there's that last note, which sounds like it's off. And David Garrison is Norman. Yes. Because honestly, David Garrison makes anything good. Yes. What else has David Garrison done besides this and uh, and uh, married with children? That's exactly my point. <laughs> <laughs> he's two for two two great shows that's all he's done he said you know what two's enough two's enough for me i'll stop while i'm hot uh, okay well no because he, he also yeah he went back to broadway and did a lot of yeah broadway. he did yeah and that made every broadway show better it's your move I gotta say, of all the short-lived television shows, I'm very surprised that this show, from our research, is so fondly remembered to this day. Well, it uh, it was one of those shows that was the the precursor for the uh, teenage shenanigan razor, so to speak. I mean, your Zach Morris was born out of your Matthew Burton who, by the way, is the character played by Jason Bateman on this show. Now, you see, I actually disagree with Chico. I, I think Matthew Burton was sort of a predecessor, a raw version of Bud Bundy. Yeah, I can see it, especially considering this show was created by Ron Levitt and Michael Moy, the creators of Married with Children. Right. Yes. <clears throat> and um, th the thing of it is, uh, and I believe you have the clip from the, uh, I believe, the American Television Archives. Uh, this was just uh, another entry into the Michael Moy sort of pantheon that has one rule and one rule only. Kids are smart. Adults are dumb. It's your move. 
if you remember in this uh, again reflecting the times ironically you know we tried because of the times what we tried to do was come up with a show come up with a premise that really we really wanted to do the opposite of what was popular i uh, that's another thing that i'm known for when the world marches in this direction instinctively i go in this direction um i at this point a lot of the you know the the lear type morality plays you know were that was over that year it was over and we were all surfing the crest of the wave of cosby and all of the shows as you go. and i didn't have a problem with cosby i think there's a you know there, there's an idea out there that i did not like bill cosby which is the bill cosby show which is actually not true what i did not like were shows that were trying to be the bill cosby show and as you, you know, as you know, television being somewhat imitative at the time, they weren't hearing anything um, but networks, but shows that were like the Bill Cosby show, because that's what everyone wanted. They wanted they hit like Bill Cosby. Um, we in development then you know, knew what we had to do was try to do a show that was sort of unlike Bill Cosby. You will hear this again when it comes to It's Your Move. I mean, uh, Married with Children. And so what we wanted to do, um, so we tried to develop a show where the child in the show, where the kid in the show was, had his parents basically wrapped around their finger. This wasn't going to be, a show like Cosby where, you know, the parents, of course, know everything that the kids may try to fool them, but in the end, you know, the parents know, and, and, and we got you, don't you know, at one time we were your age, and, we, you know, every once in a while you'll run into a kid who is actually, you know, a born con man, and really can pull the wool over, you know, the parents' eyes. We wanted to do a show about that kid, and we remember from Silver Spoons um, a a, a a kid named Jason Bateman, you know, from Silver Spoons, who we thought natural, had that natural ability, you know, to, he could play that character, he could be that guy. And so we did a show about a kid who basically ran his high school, not through thuggery, but by the fact that he actually was pretty much a genius. He might not have been a genius um, all A's, but I mean, clearly this kid was going to be a politician. Clearly this kid, when he grew up, was going to be a senator. Because by the time he was done manipulating, you know, and having kids work for him, you know, he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, yeah, he could have all A's. He could also have his principal's driver's license suspended. I mean, he could do things I mean, he could just sit back in his chair, <laughs> from his chair, and basically be the godfather without any guns, without any threats, without any blood. He was just, he was that kid. Um, and that was sort of the seed of It's Your Move. And we gave him, you know, a mother that he doted over, you know, a single mom, 
you know, that uh, he would dote over and protect. And she need, because she did need that in his mind. Um, the hook was that the guy that moved across the hall from his mother was a, an adult version of what that kid used to be. You know, he had the same kind, he had that same kind of mind. And also, you know, and liked his mom, you know, and wanted a uh, relationship with his mom, which was just what made the kid crazy, you know. And it was just sort of a battle of wits between, you know, a 12-year-old and, you know, and a 30-year-old, you know, over the affections of mom and their, their ba basic abuse of each other. You know, um, and uh, it was a very tough show to write because we had to constantly have these guys, you know, try to outwit each other. So it was one of these where you almost would write backwards. You know, we write from the resolution. You know, who won that week, and then say, you know, write it, write it backwards. Um, it pro I, up to that point, it was. You know the uh, my favorite show that I, I I had ever done. You know a lot more work went into it than normally because a lot of the story twists and turns had to were a lot more complex. Um, but it was you know it was my favorite. During the take um, the casting of that show, by the way, is when we first ran into David Garrison, um, who was phenomenal. You know, he played the love interest. He played the quote, J, you know, the the a grown up con man who crossed the hall. Just so happens that Norman, played by David Garrison, is a forty year is a fourteen year old trapped in a forty year old's body because he too is smart. And you have the endless game of cat and mouse between Matthew and Norman. Uh, and it gets better. It really does because Norman is dating Matt's mom, played by the ever so talented Karen Kay. And that's really how we got the name "It's Your Move" because whatever uh, Matthew does, whatever yeah, whatever 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 plot Matthew has, uh, Norman has like the 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 perfect solution to outdo him or. Or, or take him to the next level, but then also at the same time, it's like whatever Norman does, Matthew outdoes him. So it's always somebody's move. But one thing I, I want to mention, guys, did you ever notice about the opening sequence? The, the the show's called It's Your Move. Did you ever notice the background is a checkerboard? Yes. It's your move. Yes, I che it's checkers. That, that, I think there's oh. a hidden meaning in there. A little yes. bit. I never realized that until you brought it up. Yes. And this has been another Mike Klaus's mind blower. But this was like the first big starring role for Jason Bateman because he had been the uh, he had been the friend to Ricky Schroeder's character for two seasons on Silver Spoons. Yes, he has. And actually, interesting you mentioned that. Uh, thanks to our good friends at 13 Week Theater, uh, It's Your Move actually began life as a Silver Spoon spinoff. Or a, or a plotted Silver Spoon spinoff. 
because Jason Bateman, who played Derek on Silver Spoons, his parents go through a divorce, and they were going to move away. Turns out, their life was going to be the subject of this show. And Jason was on board, NBC was on board, but here's the thing. The writers, uh, Michael Moy and Ron Levitt, they did not own the Derek character, and they did not have the rights to use the Derek character. What's a writer to do? Yeah, and the thing is, I, I don't know if I would call uh, Jason Bateman's uh, character on Silver Spoons a friend of Ricky Schroeder's. He, he was a bit of a jerk. Uh, he is the, I believe the term you're looking for is frenemy. I don't think we used that term back in, in the early 80s, but you're absolutely right about that. So we have Matthew Burton, his mom Eileen, played by Karen Kay, his sister Julie, played by Trisha Cast, and rounding out the cast is Lou Donatelli, played by Ernie Sabella. This was before uh, Perfect Strangers and or The Lion King. And... A guy named Eli, played by Adam Sadowski. Who would later go on to a show call, that was called Boys Will Be Boys, but Greg knows it better as future installment that he can't wait to do, Second Chance. So what happened is uh, you had Norman. He moved into the apartment complex actually across the hall from, uh, from Matthew and his family. So he started hitting on, on Eileen, uh, Matthew's mother, uh, thanks to a scheme created again by by Matthew, Norman moves into the apartment and he sees a loose floorboard or or piece of wood and he wants to get that fixed. Well, coincidentally at the time, who was Eileen dating? She was dating like the wood king of Southern California. So he came and fixed it and guess what Matthew did? He nailed that person into the apartment and he was stuck in there. Whoops. And then at the same time, well, David Garrison's character, Norman can't get in the apartment. So what does he do? He goes to his next door neighbor's apartment where, Oh, coincidentally Matthew is, but also there's Eileen and they sort of hit it off again with uh, mingling by, by Matthew and uh, and we never hear from the uh, the wood king of Southern California ever again. The wood flooring king. Aww. Well, he's probably stuck. No, he didn't get stuck in the apartment. They they eventually let him out. But uh, but yeah, that that was the the pilot episode. We we had the wood flooring king of, of Southern California fixing Norman's apartment, and he got uh, he got screwed literally. He got uh, the doors. I thought were he got screwed. nailed. Screwed, nailed. Hey, they're both good double entendres. That was yep. the pilot. Episode two. Put to the test. Matt's successful business selling answer keys to classmates is thrown for a curve when Norman is hired as a substitute teacher. So not only is Matt's mom going out with Norman, Norman is now Matt's teacher. It's his worst nightmare come to life. Twice. Also, calling back to the pilot, uh, one of the uh, the key parts of the pilot at the end, 
uh, had to do with uh, spelling done by by Matthew and Eli. And that just makes me wonder, would you really want to get uh, answers to a test from somebody who couldn't spell a word correctly? And the word was special. And he forgot the letter I. He had S-P-E-C-A-L, not S-P-E-C-I-A-L. He had Spiegel. Yes. So, so do you really want answers for a test from somebody who can't spell the word special, especially when he's 14 years old, presumably in eighth or ninth grade? I don't think so. No. No. He's, he's, uh, he's, uh, something, something, wrong, something wrong about that. Episode three, dating games. In a rare righteous moment, Matt chooses friend Eli of a date with Julie to the Harvest Ball. Julie has no intentions of dating this lower life form, which forces Matt into his bag of tricks to save face. Mm. Harvest Balls in Southern California? What do they harvest in Southern? That's more of a Central Coast thing. Well, I was going to say, that's more like a a Midwest slash Plains thing. Maybe they're harvesting sand or smog. I don't know. Should ask friend Jason Reyes. Hey, have you ever been to a harvest ball in Southern California? Yeah. Mm. What do you harvest down there? Plus, also, I I don't I've never heard of really a harvest ball. Now, I don't live in a rural area, but I've never heard that term used. So, I wonder if that died like in 1984, thanks to to it's your move. Yeah. Thanks, Matthew Burton. You killed Harvest Balls. Aww. Balls! Balls. Yeah, balls! Balls. 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 In your pants. Episode 4, Night Work. For the first time in his young life, con artist Matt meets resistance to his devious courting strategies when they are complicated by some clever monkey business from his neighbor, Norman. Oh, well, he he found his match. Yeah. If you've seen the pilot episode, he truly has found his match because uh, there's a lot of scheming going on between the two of them, which really doesn't come apparent until the last minute or two of the show. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, again, your classic cat and mouse, like, all right, yeah, you see what, see, I see what you're doing. Hey, guess what, Matt? I got you. And then Matt's like, yeah, I see what you're doing, Norman. I got you. Oh, but just wait for episode five. Pajama party. Yeah, pajama party. Matt and Eli planned their greatest conspiracy, bugging Julie's pajama party. Oh yeah, that's that's wonderful, bugging your sister's pajama party. Uh, uh wait, he... there's more. There's more to that pajama party because the uh, party plans are ruined after Julie hijacks the apartment, and realizing the revenge potential of Julie's slam book. You people who've ever seen Mean Girls. It's called a burn book now. He he schemes to discover its hiding place. Eli 
Eli is sort of like uh, like Matt's henchman. Yes. Not not too bright though. He he doesn't come across as terribly bright. But yeah, he he's like Matt's assistant. Yeah. yeah he's like he's like the Waylon Smithers to Matt. He's Mr. Birds. I was thinking more like Otis Graves to Matt's Lex Luthor. Oh, I had even a better one. I, I thought that Eli was more like the general disarray to Matthew's Professor Chaos. The South Park reference. Ah. All right. So, as we move on to episode number six, Love Letters. Ooh. Romance may be slipping through Matt and Norman's fingers as a web of suspicion surrounds love letters each receives from a supposed secret admirer. Yeah, that can't go wrong. Uh, Yeah. This this will totally work. Totally work. There is absolutely nothing wrong with this plan. Nothing at all. Not a single thing. It, it seems like this show should actually be called Can You Top This? I know that was taken, but... Uh, just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, well, just a little bit taken. But the thing is, again, it, it just seems like every episode, one is trying to outdo the other, who's trying to outdo the other, and it just goes back and forth. And again, like I said, that's apparent on the pilot episode where Norman received uh, letters from publishers in New York City saying, we'd like to have you work for, I think it was the New Yorker or the New York Times. And uh, it turned out to be fake. And then uh, he received another letter from, I forget, some other publication saying, oh, we'd like to, uh, you know, we, we like your story. We'd, uh, we want to run this story. It was like Atlantic Monthly or something. Uh, the problem is, and this is a callback to what I mentioned earlier, Norman could tell that Matt set him up because guess what? I mentioned this just a few moments ago. Matt misspelled the word special in the letter. <laughs> oh. S-P-E-C-A-L. Uh, you got caught, Matt. Nice try. There's no way Atlantic Monthly would misspell the word special in a letter. Again, this was very smart for its time. I mean, it was very ahead of its time, absolutely. And now, Mike, you've been waiting for this episode. Oh no, this is a Greg thing. Greg, you've been waiting for this episode. Yeah, episode seven, Dad and Me. When burglars clean out the Burton's apartment, Matt and Norman are forced into an unlikely partnership, posing as a father and son on a television game show. With the hope of winning furniture. So what happened was Matt and Norman discovered in the newspaper that a game show called Dad and Me is looking for contestants. So Matt convinces Norman to write the show a sob story to get them on the air. So Norman is successful in getting them accepted as contestants, but also has some fun with Matt in the bio that he created by changing his name to Seymour Lamb and giving him the habit of dozing off at times due to being bitten by a testy fly. The two study each other's bios at length in preparation. On the show, Matt and quote-unquote Seymour are faced with nearly clone father and son team Bill and Bill Jr. Williams, who are almost unbeatable. To remedy this, Matt disconnects their buzzer so that they cannot answer a crucial question. 
Matt and Norman win and get to spin the bonus wheel for valuable prizes. They win a stereo and the new furniture that they had hoped for. But when the prize at stake is a telescope with a built-in camera that Matt has been saving up for, Norman purposely blows the answer. The next prize to be offered is a brand new car for Norman, who begs Matt to win it for him, even though he had ruined Matt's chance for winning the telescope. Matt agrees to win the car for him with a wink to the audience. When he goes to answer the question, he lets out a kneeing and falls asleep, the victim of the fictional testy fly bite. Norman is infuriated and begins to strangle Matt on the floor of the studio. Back at home, Matt returns from school, only to find his apartment stocked with their original furniture. Norman admits that he did, in fact, hire the bird rollers in order to force Matt to admit that he needed his help. And Norman concedes that he needed Matt's help as well in order to fill his apartment with the new prize furniture. Wow. This really does reek of like married with children type of stuff, like 88, 89-ish. This is like four or five years ahead of its time. All I could say is they really did check each other. I think Norman might have gotten the upper hand on that one, though. Yeah, he deprived Matt of that telescope with a camera. That that would have been really cool back in 84. Yeah, especially if you're a 14-year-old. But that car, though, that car, though. Mm, 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 mm. Episode eight, The Rival. Matt is determined to break up his mother's and Norman's relationship and hits on a scheme guaranteed to drive Norman into a jealous rage, a trait his mother despises in men. Did we mention that a handsome actor was involved? Because that's important. Wait, there, there's actors in Southern California that could be hired by a 14-year-old? Yeah, it's Matthew freaking Burton. He can get anything. And besides, there's a, there's a handsome actors in Southern California are a dime a dozen. They're all at Harvest Balls. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry, I found that funny. <laughs> oh, so did I. That's why. <laughs> Episode number nine. Top Dog. Matthew finds he's created a monster when his scheme to prevent Norman from replacing his retiring teacher goes horribly wrong. So, yeah, his teacher disappears, and he hires a fake replacement so Norman will be out of a job. So, in the episode, Norman poses as Inspector Smokey Bates, quote-unquote, private eye for the public schools, and he confronts the substitute teacher about her misdeeds, and she attempts to bribe him, but he eventually convinces her to walk away from the teaching gig. In the end, Matt and Norman congratulate each other, and Matt heads out with a TV that the class had just given their teacher. He confesses that it was actually Norman's TV anyway. Uh, I, I want to know where this school is, because I've never gotten anything near a TV. I, I Usually I get ugly looks and, and, and vulgarities from my students. Where's this TV? I want to go to there. We would have been lucky if we even had a decent TV in my school. And this, this is like 1984, where they have, we still have two TVs. I know. One for the bedroom and one for the living room. And if you had one for the bedroom, it was usually smaller than the one in the living room. Because everything's smaller in the bedroom compared to elsewhere. Phrasing? No, that's out the window. <laughs> well, uh, next episode, number 10. Don't leave home without it. As you can probably guess... A credit card is involved. 
In fact, it's Norman's new credit card, and it means two things. A romantic weekend alone with Eileen, and freedom from Matt's economic clutches. Yeah, but there's a little catch. What's the catch? Well, what do you think Matt might do with a credit card? Cancel it? Matt cancels Norman's new credit (laughs) card right before Norman leaves for a secret vacation with Matt's mother. Oh, speed down. You you knew he was either going to max it out or he was going to cancel it. And Chico, you got the right one. What do I get? Uh, A canceled credit card. (laughs) Yay! And then we hit the holidays. It's, yeah, December 19th of 1984. And we get episode 11, The Christmas Show. The Burton family is poised to celebrate their Christmas in their traditional fashion, complete with Christmas Day bowling, guacamole, and picking up the San Diego channel on their aluminum Christmas tree. Oh, that also gives you an idea of the date, because it's all rabbit ears back in 84, just about. And that is about as big of a rabbit ears as I think I can imagine. Woo! (laughs) Norman, however has more traditional plans that include thick, gooey eggnog and making his own Christmas presents. Plans go awry when traditions clash. Matt saves the day and still successfully makes Norman look like a fool. Wow. It's an it's-your-move Christmas. Yeah. There's a poem that Norman writes in the episode, and then Matt, I believe, switches the poem that's presented as Norman's. So I'm going to read the regular poem Norman has. Okay. This is the time for giving, and the time is the gift I give. Time to praise your gentle spirit, time to note your giving heart, time to thank your love and laughter, and for making me a part of your world of joyous living and your treasured measured time. And here's Matt's card presented as Norman's. Dear Eileen, thank you for helping me understand the true meaning of Christmas. It doesn't matter what your tradition are as long as you're with the people you love. I'm sorry I was such a fool, an idiot, a jerk, a membrane. Please find it in your heart to forgive me. Love, Norman. Ah. It hits me right there. It does, but also another thing I noticed, it's called The Christmas Show. The the generic-ish title sort of falls in line with other Christmas shows that Ron Levitt and Michael Moy did with Married with Children. And actually, I think one of their Christmas shows was actually called The Christmas Show. Yeah, now that I think just, about just it. Just a, a casual observation. Now, Greg, oh take boy. us to the next episode. Oh, boy. Buckle up. Here we uh, go. Here we go. The, the, the greatest two-porter and the two-porter that everyone remembers about this show the Dregs of Humanity, Parts 1 and 2. Part 1. Julie is panic-stricken that Matt is the treasurer of the school's entertainment committee and has $500 of the school's money to hire a band for the next dance. Matt is planning on hiring a new act called Morning Breath and then becomes panicked himself when he finds out that Eli has lost the money. Matt and Eli attempt to hire another act with their last $20 but find none of them to be acceptable. Matt then gets the idea to steal the skeletons from the school's biology lab, put capes on them, borrow music from a local band, and then pass them off as a live act. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. The show comes off remarkably well, with everyone in town talking about this new band who Matt has dubbed the Dregs of Humanity. In fact, Norman also gets the assignment from Music Press Magazine to interview this up-and-coming act. Matt decides to let them do a quote-unquote and puts a speaker on one of the skeletons, keeping them under the spooky lighting, and lets Eli answer Norman's questions. The article is also a success, and soon Matt gets offers for additional appearances, with each offer more lucrative than the last. The final offer is for the dregs to play at the Palladium for $20,000. Matt and Eli decide to go for it. Uh, fun fact, the names of the dregs of humanity, on bass, Wolfgang, on the drums, Bones, on the keyboards, Graves, and the lead cigarette talker of the group voiced by Eli Tombstone. You know what this reminds me of? And again, this, uh, this post-states this uh, episode of It's Your Move by maybe a year or two. Are you going to say it, Chico? It's like, please don't say the Grateful Dead Touch of Grey video. Yes, the Grateful Dead Touch of Grey video. That is that exactly- reminds, it reminds me of the same thing, yeah. Yes, this reminds me exactly of that. So so you think the the Grateful Dead got the idea for the Touch of Grey video from It's Your Move? Well, think about it. What did that video do for the Grateful Dead? That was huge. I believe it was also their only number one hit ever. At the very least, it was their first number one hit. I know that much, but I think you're right. It was their only number one hit. So you know what? That just proves the dregs of humanity is freaking amazing. Oh, yeah. I download all the MP3s, man. And he'd do it legally, too. That's how much he likes them. He'll actually pay the 99 cents per song. It's buck twenty nine now. Where are you looking? Uh, I, I'm not using inflation calculator. But there's more to the story. There's more? 
There's so much more. See, Matt and Eli, they're planning to take the Palladium up on their 20,000, just like Greg said. And that rather than trying to utilize the skeletons again, the boys plan to hire some bums to wear their capes, and when the band is booed off stage, simply retire the act and keep the money. Now, Norman just bought a used car with the money from his music press interview with the band. Because if you remember, he didn't win that car on Dad and Me. And he also has a lucrative offer from Rolling Stone to do a follow-up interview with the Dregs. Matt stalls him, telling him he will run it by the band. Meanwhile, Eli has hidden the band's capes behind the curtains in Matt's room. Seemingly, every team in town now congregates outside the Burton's apartment in hopes of meeting the band members. Matt appeases Mr. Donatelli, who is concerned about crowds by selling him a share of the band. Various people then begin to show up at Matt's apartment with lawsuits against the band amounting to $28.5 million, with ridiculous claims, including one girl who asserts that one of the band's members is the father of their newborn child. <laughs> like, where Where's Maury Povich when you need him? <laughs> That's another Boy. show. Boy, talk about a boner. Uh, they're skeletons. They're bones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Okay, so when Norman reveals that he now knows the truth about the drags, Matt begs him to help with the lawsuits. When Norman is reluctant to assist, Matt reminds him that he has written a published article about the band. Norman makes Matt sweat it out for a while and then decides to help him out of the mess by assisting in killing off the drags. This would, you would never get away with this in 2020, ladies and gentlemen. Matt suggests they kill him in a car accident. Norman just bought a car. They're going to use his car to push them in a body of water and literally have them drown. And, and, and the crazy thing is, this thing works. Julie is heartbroken about the tracks. Rolling Stone still wants the article on the band, since they had been the only one to interview him. He decides not to cash it on the boys' misfortunes. Norman sees that Matt has other plans, as Norman is watching because this is uh, a popular thing at the time, Nina Blackwood's documentary on MTV. Matthew's being interviewed about his forthcoming book, The Drags of Humanity. They made us believe them. And all of this, again, this would be perhaps the chef's kiss of two-parters, except for one small thing yeah the second part of this episode was preempted on the east coast by a speech by ronald reagan Ooh. yeah you'd have to wait till usa network aired the reruns in order to find some sort of resolution no i don't think so because this did rerun uh, up until summer of 85, so maybe at some point the second episode did air. Ah, okay. It just didn't air in its original spot. But even better, 
in a later episode of It's Your Move, it's revealed that the dregs of humanity, they were posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How? On second thought, I don't want to know. Uh, well, considering that your acts have to be around 25 years, well, they're, they're skeletons, so they could have easily been around 25 years. They could have uh, been around 50 years for all the, we know. Exactly. Now I feel like I should go down I-90 about uh, 15 miles from here, go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and say, damn it, where's the exhibit to the dregs of humanity? And they could be like, huh? What? What are you talking about? I saw this on It's Your Move back in 1985. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Where's my dregs of humanity? Well, that would actually that that would actually be a good exhibit for for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like fake uh, rock bands that have been on TV shows. Oh yeah, kind you know of what? sort of like Spinal Tap, but TV versions. Nina Blackwood, when uh, asked about the whole dregs of humanity experience. She said, and I quote, this is hysterical. You probably remember the episode better than I do. I thought Jason Bateman was delightful and talented. Who would have thought that he'd become such a huge star? He was a good young actor. Yes, but he has really made a great reputation for himself. So she saw something in Jason Bateman, but, she remembers absolutely nothing about this episode, and it's one of those episodes that's really gone down in cult TV history. So we're up to episode 14, Caught in the Act, but we have a little change here because NBC got letters. They uh, got letters. They got letters. They got letters. 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 But they're not good letters. Were no, they, they're, Chico? They're bad letters. Uh, there are letters basically saying, hey, NBC, you need to stop your crap. My kid's doing all the stuff that Matthew Burton's doing, and now he's getting in trouble for it. You cut that mess out. You know, so that's a double... Chico, that's a double-edged sword if you think about it. On one hand, yeah, the kids are doing bad stuff, but on the other hand... It sounds like people are watching the TV show. Uh, yeah, it, it does sound like people are watching the TV show. So, caught in the act, episode 14, Eileen's image of her perfect son is permanently shattered after his scheme to get her a well-deserved pay raise backfires. Whoops. I don't know about you. I've never went to either of my parents' employers when I was 14 or any age and said, give my mommy or daddy a raise. Uh, and another thing is, how does Matt get the idea to do this? Norman. Of course. So for all we know, this could be Norman saying, this is how I win. Well, not just this is how I win, but I'm going to do the evil scheming now, Matt, because apparently you're being a bad role model to kids across the country who are doing these things in school. Mm-hmm. And when she asks Norman to talk to him about, he gloats, but she hears him, and he ends up in the doghouse. So that's the end of the Matthew Burton teenage schemer subplot. Can we call it a subplot if that's actually the driving force of the entire series? 
It counts. Okay. Okay, moving right moving right along. Episode 15, Eli's Song. When a reluctant Norman is appointed coach of the high school's losing soccer team, Matt persuades him to give Eli the opportunity of a lifetime and make him second-string goalie. A pastiche of Rudy ensues. But the, the one thing you can clearly tell is missing here is you don't see the word scheming anywhere. Now we've gone to more of a, a tame, pale sitcom. Persuasion. Seduction, if you will. You know what I'm saying? It's gone from outright scheming to a more of a sly seduction. A persuasion. I believe uh, Jay Heinrichs wrote about that. It's gone from a glorious Rocky Road or chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, and now it's just plain old vanilla. Yeah, Rocky Road's another show, Mike. Oh, good call. Good call. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode number 16, A Woman is Just a Woman. When an old boyfriend of Eileen's, who's rich among other things, returns, her children are happy at the prospect but Norman feels he's going to lose her cause he doesn't have what her ex has. But to everyone's surprise, she chooses Norman. A while later, they learn that her ex found another girl and married her in a lavish wedding, and Norman still feels inadequate. This is like the callback episode, because Norman has this sort of inadequacy sort of fix. But anyway, uh, when an ex shows up, Norman decides to show Eileen how much he cares about her by rebuffing an ex in front of her, but Matthew, upon learning of the plan, decides to make a little alteration that shocks Norman, too. So, Matthew's not exactly done with the whole... Mm-hmm. Wink, wink, not notch, I'm not allowed to say, but you know what I'm saying? It's just toned down a little bit. Just a bit, Yeah. It's not happening in school. I think that might be the best way of saying tone down. Yeah. We're not going to sabotage school, but we'll sabotage potential marriages because marriages don't last forever. Nope. Mm-mm. Second to last episode, the experts. Acting on Matt's financial advice, Norman and Dwight make a killing in the stock market. Rather than dining out with their newfound wealth, they soon find themselves singing for their supper. Whoops. Yeah, and another thing I want to mention, the character Dwight was played by uh, Garrett Morris of SNL fame. He was also the principal on the show of Matthew's school. So Dwight is the principal? Yes. Okay. So I'm guessing they had to keep him around in some way after they shifted the focus from School antics to antics normal life antics. Yes. Yeah, and it, the big thing in this story is, just like the stock market, people get a little cocky and they lose everything. Well, as Jim Cramer would say, bulls make money, bears make money, but pigs, they get slaughtered. Oink, oink. <laughs> sell, 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 sell. Bye, bye, bye. Greg, take us home. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. 
Yes. This is the story of Julie Burton, a cheerleader. Strangely enough, she's a cheerleader without cheer. A perverse crime is about to strike Julie down, a crime committed by the hands of one she trusted. Boy, I wonder who that could have been. Oh, you know, I, I actually thought it was uh, Matt, but looking at another um, uh, recap of the show, uh, classic whodunit where someone sabotages Julie at the school's yearly cheerleading auditions. Matt and Eli play detective. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I thought that Matt and Eli might be the ones who were doing the scheming. Uh, they play detectives as they test theories, interrogating Julie's so-called friends and rivals. Now, it's kind of sad. Now, the, the show had already been canceled at this point, obviously, but yeah, it's sort of sad to see that this is the closure. The name of the episode is Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. And I believe the last shot of the show is a parody of Alfred Hitchcock presents with um, Eli in the silhouette, like Alfred Hitchcock. Then he turns into the camera and says, thank you and good night. That's great. That's great. Since It's Your Move originally aired, it did air in reruns on cable for a a little while. But the one thing that we've all noticed that's missing is it's not on DVD or it's not available on any streaming sites. Come on. This show. And I think Greg and Chico will agree after seeing a handful of episodes uh, in preparation for the show. This show needs to be somewhere. It It may be short lived, but it is really a great show. It is hilarious. Yeah, put it, you know what? I believe it's owned by Sony. Why not Crackle? Well, Married with Children is on uh, on Crackle, so that would be a, a perfect fit. And again, if you watch the two shows, not necessarily side by side, but you can see that Matt Burton is sort of like a rough draft of what might end up being Bud Bundy, even though he wasn't a schemer. Uh, he, he was just the smart one in the family, or the, the, the smarter one in the family, if you will. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, come on. Shout Factory, give us a complete series DVD of this. I'd pay 30 bucks for it right now. Yeah, it's become a bit of an underground cult favorite after getting absolutely slaughtered in the ratings because guess what it was on against? Oh, it's 1984, so it has to be something Dynasty. like... Dynasty. Dynasty, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that it got letters didn't help either. No. You, you know, not. also, I think it really didn't help that the second half of the Dregs of Humanity episode didn't originally air on the East Coast. Reading the, uh, the reviews about it or, or the, 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 um, the, the blurbs about it, it sounds absolutely brilliant. And absolutely hilarious. And at least half the country didn't have a chance to see it. Which is a shame. I mean, uh, yeah, the people may have been watching Dynasty instead, but still, j- just reading this is absolutely brilliant. I, I, w- it I is want- absolutely brilliant, yeah. I really want to see this. Well, NBC ended up canceling this in 1985 for future <laughs> entry, Double Trouble. I don't even know what that is. It was no it's your move. It yeah, really... exactly. But but guys, recently the Dregs of Humanity 
episode of It's Your Move got a lot of attention when for the 35th anniversary of the episode, Yahoo Music recently posted an article about the dregs of humanity. Even though this show didn't last long, Jason Bateman was going to turn out to be okay because the following year in 1986, he would be on a little family sitcom that would go through a bunch of names, but we know it best as the Hogan family. Yep. Or Valerie. Or Valerie's family. Yeah, uh, any of the above are, are are completely acceptable. And of course, Jason Bateman after the Hogan family would be in a bunch of future installments like Chicago Sons and George and Leo. Eventually, until he found the right show in the 2000s with Arrested Development. And we were all the better off for it. And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. The rest may be history, and we may have the prototype for uh, scheming teenagers, but thanks to, gosh, a number of reasons, really. It's your move. In 1984, it's just a thing on TV. It was a great yep. thing on TV people should have watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But eventually for Michael Moore and Ron Levitt, they would hit the jackpot a couple of years later. Yes, doing a little retooling, making it maybe a little raunchier, because gosh knows, whatever letters NBC got for It's Your Move, Fox got probably 50 times as many for Married with Children. Oh, yeah. But also, let's remember, yeah, Married with Children wasn't just a success by itself. It also spawned uh, two spinoffs. And guess what? Both of them are future installments. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Top of the Heap and uh, Vinny and Bobby. Both starring Matt LeBlanc. Take us home, Chico. Okay, so that was It's Your Move. If you want to find out about this or any of our other episodes, you can go to our website at itwasathingontv.com. There you'll find out about the show, about us, all of our social feeds, and of course, links to past episodes. Which, by the way, you can find where every fine podcast can be streamed. We're talking Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, the like. There you go. Yep, we're on Pandora. We should be on Spotify in the near future. If you just search, it was the thing on TV, you'll find like many places where you can find the podcast. So you'll find it at your preferred destination or on your preferred app. Until later this week, when we get into a show that Greg recently (coughs) discovered. And because of that, we sort of moved it up on the list. I don't think we actually even had it on the list, but once Greg's like, I need to talk about this. This is such a a great, interesting show. Yes. I I, I put such a high priority in the show that I put it at like the top of the list. And we're going to talk about that later on this week. But for now, as always, thank you for your patronage. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Chico. Thank you to Greg. I'm Mike. We will talk to you later with another installment of It Was a Thing on TV.